Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. Continue your work through your Spirit to cause your word to be clear to us and effective to transforming us more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. Help me, help us, Father, because we're so limited in grasping the truth of your word and more limited in living it out. So do your work for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So we were advertising on the front of your bulletin that we were going to actually be finishing First John today. And John, the rascal that he is, he packed so much truth into some simple words that we we're going to only make some progress through verse 17. The whole theme of the letter has been true life, and, and more particularly true life in Christ. And so John, as he wraps up this letter, um, that's still, he brings that theme to a head in verses 13 to 21. In particular, in verses 13 to 17, we're going to look at how true life in God's Son leads us to pray with confidence according to God's will. So I'll read that text, and you can follow along. 1 John five thirteen to 17. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So part of the reason I prayed is, as I always acknowledge the, the need that we have for the Spirit of God to help us with his word, is these are hard words. So we'll start out with the more delightful words, which is verse 13. John's been writing all along as a major purpose to confirm for us or to help us to recognize whether we have eternal life or perhaps whether we still need eternal life. That's what he says in verse 13. He says, I write to you, I write to you these things in, who believe in the name of the Son of God that they have eternal life. Believing in the name of the Son of God is not just believing in Jesus as he is as a person. It's believing he, who he is and what he's done as the Son of God, as the Christ, the Savior and Lord, his death and resurrection. So when you're saying, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you're, you're saying you believe in all that he is, Son of God, human in, in human flesh, Savior and Lord, and that he accomplished great salvation by his death and resurrection and continues his work from the Father's right hand. So it's believing in those things. And he says, I believe, I'm writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, it's a major purpose of John's letter. The primary way that you may know that you have eternal life is as John has just said. Sherry read us a couple verses. Are you believing, are you trusting in Christ as God's Savior? And that's the sense of the words. It's ongoing belief and trust. It's not a temporary check-in. You don't just check in with Jesus. Okay, are we good? No, I'm off on my own. It's a constant relationship. The faith through which we receive eternal life is not a momentary check-in. It's a continual faith trust that expresses an ongoing relationship. It's like knowing you're married. If you're married this morning, it's a good thing to know that. 
And it's also a very helpful thing to live in light of the fact that you're married because it's not very nice to your mate to not live as if you're married. So it's, it's that way with Jesus. We, we connect with him. We have an ongoing relationship with him, and it's a love relationship. And, and it transforms our lives, just as your mate has transformed your life. Um, ideally for the better. I know it's worked that way for me. Amen? Amen. Thank you. It's, as, as John has been saying all along, since everyone who believes has been born of God, that new spiritual life shows up in love and obedience, not perfectly in this life, but truly with progress, increasing patterns of putting sin to death and, and living in holiness. Having eternal life means having Christ, means having Christ. It's not just having a long existence. It's having Christ. That's what eternal life is, having him. Having, which means having a living relationship with him. Knowing we have eternal life doesn't or shouldn't make us proud or presumptuous to live any way we please. It's not, hey, God, you are so stuck with me. Did you know what you were doing when you saved me? Because I'm a rotten character. Now, it's true that we're rotten characters apart from Christ. But our attitude is not, because I'm, I know I have eternal life, I just go on and live my own way. We, we live as a people who are freed from sin, freed for holiness, as, as once again, as Sherry was sharing the reflections from the retreat. Knowing we have eternal life should cause us to be humbly dependent on God while at the same time confident to ask God to act and provide according to his will. So part of our relationship is expressed as we pray And so, moving on to verse 14. And, and that and ties in, because you have eternal life, if you know you have eternal life, this is the confidence that we have, if we ask. Praying is a primary expression of eternal life. If you really know Christ, you're going to pray. Not talking about eloquent words or special religious language. um, Not flowery, long-winded prayers, necessarily but just pouring out your heart to God, um, expressing words of love, appreciation, thanksgiving, trusting dependence upon God as Father, asking Him as a child does a father. John says, this is the confidence, the boldness that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Some of you might say, well, I knew there was a catch. If I have to ask according to His will, what good is prayer? Can I get God to do what I want Him to do? Well, prayer is not forcing God to do our will, but asking him to do his will. As Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. And then the trust that that's the good and best thing that there is, is God's will. Man, if if he was to just do our will at all, or some of the time, it would get quite messy. Amen. Yeah. So God is the only one qualified to answer prayer. He is infinitely wise and powerful. So he's got those two things going for him, answering prayer. He is infinitely good. Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God is good. And so for him to do his will, for us to pray for God's will to be done, is always good even if it's in the mix of hard things, and it includes hard things, it's always good. Because God is eternal and knows the the beginning to the endless end. 
He knows everything, so he knows exactly how he is working everything together for good for those who love him because he knows exactly how everything he does relates to everything else he does. I know you got that. Write that down. In other words, in short, there's no unforeseen consequences to God. He goes, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that one because that's going to take off. And that's, oh, that was such a mess. I'm sorry. I pulled that one back. Not how, not how it works. Because God is sovereign, that is, he rules over everything, and he's able to overrule anything for good. And that's worth a scream. <laughs> because sometimes we are in the midst of that, ah, God, help. 90% of my prayers or more are God, help. And that's about the extent of a lot of them, because I need lots of help. In other words, you can trust God to answer prayer and for his answers to prayer. You can, you can trust God to answer prayer and for his answers to prayer. So if God hears, and what it says when John writes God hears our prayers, doesn't mean audibly. Of course, he hears all of our prayers. He hears everything that goes on in the world, and he's able to, to not get confused by that. But when the Bible says, or when John in particular writes God hears our prayers, it means he listens with favor. He's going to respond um, as opposed to not responding to our prayers. So if God hears our prayers, as John says, um, we have, the confidence we have is if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How do we know what is God's will? And that's a question that many people struggle with. So I'll try to complicate it further. There's various ways, and you can sum it up differently. I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in three senses. One aspect of God's will is what he has already revealed in the Scripture, that he prescribes or commands, or that he says what pleases him. So God prescribes or commands that we repent. And so I don't have to pray, does God want me to repent of my sin? Yes. Don't say God hasn't convicted me of that yet. What you're saying is your, your heart has not been responsive to his word yet. God tells us we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we don't have to pray about, God, should I love Mike? Well, maybe I do need to pray about that. But he's commanded me to love Mike. What I need to pray about is, God, show me how to love Mike and give me the heart and strength to love him well. So we have clarity in God's word. As John said earlier, back in chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, he said, We have confidence before God on the subject of prayer, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So if we ask and act according to his will, we're along the lines of recognizing what God has commanded, what pleases him. Another area of how to pray in light of God's will is really uh, needing wisdom for decisions. Frequently that comes up, where do I go to college? Who do I marry? I've already made that decision. Uh, It's a good one. Whether to accept this or that job. I still think so. We still evaluate any aspects of such decisions that God's word speaks clearly to. So, for example, if it's about a job offer, if, if the job requires me to commit fraud then I can say that one comes off the list. 
So we, in terms of wisdom, we ask God to direct our steps in, in things that are, are indifferent in the sense of that we don't have direct command in his word. Do I go to Yale or ITT? Uh, it's, it's really not a matter of morality. It's a matter of wisdom that we ask from God to direct our steps. And then a third way in terms of prayer for God's will concerns things that we don't have specific personal promises that God will always fulfill in this life, but that we do have promises that he will absolutely fulfill them in the next life. And those are, are familiar, common things that we pray for in terms of safety and healing. In other words, deliverance from suffering. Suffering, our prayers are generally we want to prevent it and we want to stop it. That's how we are. We, we, not too often are we asking God, bring on the suffering. It's rare. Just because we're not guaranteed safety or complete healing in this life doesn't mean we don't pray for such things. So, Cloyce Batten, our good friend, we prayed like crazy. And God was so good to give us him back in increasingly good health. So we pray for those things. We humbly commit our health and safety to him, trusting in his goodness and sovereign purpose and power. Since we don't know a specific will, we pray according to his revealed will and character. God is merciful. He's good. He, he does love to heal, and he doesn't always in this life. So a, a good example for me is with uh, having Parkinson's, as I have been aware of that for the past three years. You can pray for me that God would heal me. Wouldn't that be great if God would do that? Because there's no human cure for it. And it would, it would just be really swell for God to just glorify himself by bringing healing to my body. If it's not his design to do that in this life, then you can pray that God would sustain me with his grace and strength to continue to be fruitful in whatever ways I can and to have peace and to trust him and to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of him regardless of where this goes, which I don't know where it's going. So if you thought I was a little weird, if you're newer here and didn't know, you're right. I have some weirdness in me. It's called Parkinson's. But God's been good to us, and you can pray for my family, uh, that he would sustain and strengthen us in faith and trust in him and give us peace and joy and hope. And as a church family, that we would just continue doing what God called us to do and uh, pursue his mission for our church, which is to make disciples for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered mission growth and community. So that's how you can pray. Can I pray right now to you? Go for it. Father God, I love Gary so much. With all my heart. He's struggling right now, Lord. If it's your will, you'll be healed, Lord. Not our will, not his will, not my will. Your will. Push him forward because he loves you, God. Loves you. We love you with all our hearts. Because heal him, Father, if it's your will. And I'm confident that you'll do whatever you want and it's going to be best for him. That's right. Because you are the best, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for that Holy Spirit guided interruption. I didn't have that in my notes anywhere. See, Paul prayed. 
Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane is the ultimate example of praying according to God's, to his desire. So we, we express our desires to God. It's good to express our desires to God, even when we don't have a specific promise that in this life he's going to do something. We surround our prayers for things which we don't have specific revelation of God's will, expressing our desires to him in trust as to how he will answer. In fact, that is God's will, that we trust him for how he's going to answer prayer. And we know his word tells us, this, this text, that he's going to hear us if we pray according to his will. So we, we buttress our prayers with his revealed will, and we pour out our hearts to him like Jesus in the garden, who knew, who knew that there was no way around the cross if there was going to be salvation for people. And yet he said, Father, could you take this cup of suffering away from me? Not just suffering, period, the suffering of, of enduring our condemnation and judgment on the cross so that we could be saved. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus um, didn't want to experience that being forsaken by the Father by becoming the sin bearer. He didn't love that, but he, he said, not my will, but your will, and submitted himself to God's will. In verse 15, um, John says, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask, have asked of him. So if we pray according to God's will, he hears us with favor. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request we have asked of him. Maybe not in this life, but in Christ's eternal kingdom for sure we have them. It even said in, in, in Hebrews chapter 5 that Jesus was heard when he prayed, let this cup pass. And that Jesus was perfected through his sufferings and he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So did, did Jesus have the request that he asked of the Father? He did bear our sins on the cross once for all, and there will, he will never do that again. But what he accomplished was salvation for all who believe in him and eternal glory for himself and for all who believe in him. So that's how God answers our prayers. It's, it's not, if he gives us just what our limited desires ask for, then we would be missing out on so much more. Even as the Apostle James wrote, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So if you're suffering, pray. God doesn't stop all our suffering in this life, though he often does alleviate some of our suffering in this life, and he's good to do that. But he certainly will fulfill all our prayers for an end to suffering in the resurrection. Not just an end of suffering, but eternal joy and, and eternal glory. So now we move to a really difficult section here in verses 16 and 17 where John gives a specific example of how to pray in light of his will. So bear with me, and may God help us through this text. It says in verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. So John tells us what to do if we see a brother or a sister in Christ committing a sin not leading to death. Well, he says, pray. That's clear enough. It's easy. Pray. The hard part is, what is he talking about not committing a sin, committing a sin not leading to death? What is a sin that leads to death? Or sin that leads to death? Well, John's major concern in this letter has been about eternal life and, or not having eternal life. And so I don't think he's just talking about physical death. He's talking about eternal death versus eternal life. 
So he's talking about sinning in ways that indicate a person may not have eternal life. He's talking about being on a course of sin that leads to eternal death. In other words, a person who is born of God, who has eternal life, will be making progress in overcoming areas of sin in his life, making progress. His sin can no longer define his identity, and his life should give increasing evidence of his new identity in Christ as he overcomes sin and grows in holiness. That's what John's been saying over and over again. Um, Words like, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Well, we still sin, but there's a breaking in patterns of that. There's a, a, a evidence of overcoming and defeating that, those areas of sin in our lives. And what John's saying is our prayers for one another help us do that. Paul, the apostle, talked about this matter in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just going to read 9 to 11 if you want to make a note of that. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, which is shorthand for having eternal life. And The good news is such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So what Paul is saying is you can't be characterized anymore and defined and identified with a whole course of sinning in in any of these ways, whether it's areas of sexual sin or swindling or being a reviler, being an evil speaker of others, whatever. Those, there should be a breaking in those patterns. There should be a, a, an evidence of overcoming those patterns. And so what John's saying is, if we see a brother committing sin not leading to death, we should ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So how do we know if when a fellow professing Christian sins, it is not a pattern of sinning that leads to death? In other words, how do we know if the nature of his sinning means that God will give him life? Maybe for the first time. Maybe he didn't have life at all. Maybe he was functioning as a Christian outwardly, but he just didn't really have eternal life. And so our prayers for him could lead to God drawing him to himself and receiving eternal life. Or in terms of giving life, it could be that it's a a true Christian who has life, but recognizing that God sustains us in eternal life. And he uses means to do that. And one of the means he uses is our prayers for one another. It's not just plug and play in terms of having eternal life. It's God uses means, the word of God, the spirit of God, his people, um, our prayers for one another. So your very prayers for, for me can sustain me in eternal life, not because you're praying, not because it's coming from yourself, but because God uses the prayers of his people to sustain us in eternal life. It'd be interesting when we're in heaven to see, hey, how did my prayers and your prayers intersect and interact with sustaining me in eternal life? How can we know? Well, we cannot infallibly know whether a person is on a path of eternal death or a path to eternal life. Only God knows that for sure. But in the context of John's letter, the following things should be evident. 
there's a, a certain trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, as Son of God, as, as, as the Christ, as God's appointed Savior for the world. A true trust in Jesus Christ. And the other things that John has said comes out of the, that new birth is a love for God and his people and a love for growing in righteousness. Not perfection, but direction in overcoming sin. Or again, if, if the, the, the apparent brother in Christ turns out not to be truly having eternal life, then God can draw that person to himself. So when we pray for people, we're expecting God to help them to overcome their sin, whatever that means for them. God will give him life. If the brother was only one outwardly but didn't have true life in Christ, then God may draw him into true faith and thus to life in Christ. What is the first thing we should do when we see or become aware that a brother in Christ is sinning? Criticize? Gossip? Ignore? Condemn? Feel proud that I'm glad I'm not like they are. Got this holiness thing down down pretty well. No, what he says is, is, is you pray. You ask God to help. You ask God to intervene. I was with a group of pastors uh, that I meet with um, regularly, and, and uh, one of the pastors brought up a, f- a fellow pastor in the area that, who's really not been part of our group who is having some struggles. And I appreciated the fact that we just immediately went to prayer, didn't try to dissect what was going on, just prayed for him in this church. And that ought to be our automatic Reaction whenever we are aware of a person sinning is to pray. Now, um, I don't want to sin against you by keeping you longer than we need to. So I'm going to actually stop here. And uh, I'm going to ask while the, the band comes back up for probably at least a closing song, I'm going to just have us be silent for a couple minutes and be asking God. Um, what in my life needs to change because of what this text says? If somebody was praying for me right now in terms of a sin area, what would they be praying for? And then who do you think you need to pray for? This isn't about being like Gestapo police. It's just becoming aware of people as we live life together and their needs. And so we bump into one another's sins. So we're just going to take a a minute or two to be silent before the Lord and and have you search your heart and, and pray accordingly.
Father, if you should hold our sins against us, who among us could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared and you may be loved. Thank you for giving us Christ. Jesus, I pray that you would, for the good of this body and for your glory, continue your cleansing work that just happens through the body life of the church. The teaching of the word, the sharing of the word, the reading of the word, the praying for one another, the worship in which we lift our hearts up to you, where we show one another kindness and goodness and encourage one another day after day, even as your word tells us. In Hebrews, you say to exhort one another every day while it is called today, lest any one of us be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Oh God, deliver us from the deceitfulness of sin, from being hardened in it and being come under the power of its deception. And, and, and Father, it's not enough for us just to be kind of nice, outwardly good people. We want to be cleansed deep. And that's ongoing process, and you're good for that through your son Jesus because your word tells us that if we walk in the light as you are in the light, then the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, that you are so good that you have invested the life of your son to redeem us, to rescue us from sin and rescue us for everlasting life with you and for, with your people and that you give us measures of victory and grace in this life. So, Father, we, we just ask for greater measures. We prayed, we sang, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And that means Jesus is welcome here. And that means your word should be alive and active and transforming us. Cause us to be patient, long-suffering with one another, humble toward one another, and diligent to keep praying for one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.